I think it's all over. It is now. Here is Kulisevsky. Here is Kane. He scores and silences the place. Coleman caught on it by Salah, and Salah is off and running now. Catch him if you can. Mo Salah, brilliant. In the center, Kane, goal. Alatelli, Aguero. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wrong Foot Podcast. Joe and I are here to recap the FA Cup. Joe, how are you doing today? Oh, the beautiful competition, the oldest competition in the world, or close to it. Maybe not. I don't even know. But uh, it was, it was. You know, you know. I think we come in because we're such Premier League oriented guys. We come in like, oh, it's an FA Cup weekend. But I have to say, like, uh, the magic of the FA Cup, as they said. I thought it was actually a really cool weekend and. You know, it's easy to just, you know, with all the windows packed with games, it's easy to kind of, oh, this game is kind of boring, let me switch here. And it just, I felt like there were so many games that were uh, just, even if they were dull for a long time, it was like, oh my God, we're, we're back in it. And obviously we'll talk about a couple of those games where we thought we were kind of dead and buried and then all of a sudden sprung to life. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to going through some of these games and, and talking about clubs that we haven't talked about at all. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, we we know that we have some relatively new fans to the English game. Uh, and I think we did a good job of hyping up the FA Cup and kind of some of the fairy tale stories that can happen. And thankfully, this weekend uh, didn't kind of blow up in our face and it, it really did deliver. Uh, it was a good fun weekend. We got upsets. We got standard results you'd expect kind of a mix of everything fun games uh before we dive in though Joe, if anyone wants to comment on their thoughts on the FA Cup, how can they contact us via email? They can reach out to us at the wrong foot podcast at gmail.com. Perfect. And we uh, also have Twitter, follow us at wrong foot pod, and our website, the wrong foot podcast.com. Uh, I recently uploaded an article that I wrote uh, following multiple conversations around the, uh, the fairness of penalties and how they provide too high of an XG. Uh, opportunity for the foul committed so check that out it's basically the ramblings of a madman thinking about penalties and comparing it to kevin durant's toe being <clears> on the line <throat> in a playoff basketball game but anyway i digress we will dive into the fa cup uh, i think we're going to kind of mix it up how we usually review games there was 32 games this weekend so i don't think we're going to quite go into the level of detail we'll kind of break it down day by day and some of the the main storylines um yeah, the the weekend of FA Cup was kicked off on Friday. Man, Man United uh, destroying Everton 3-1. Uh, do you have much to say on this game? It kind of went as expected with, with the form. Uh, I think the biggest storyline, for me anyway, is uh, what happens to Frank Lampard from this. Uh, it, it's just kind of like another somewhat nail in his coffin and his job. And much to say about Man United-Everton before we dive into Saturday? No, no. Um... <laughs> Everton were pretty poor. Man United just get the result again. Um, uh, to be honest, I didn't watch too much of this game on a Friday, uh, so I don't have much more to add. I just saw some highlights. Ah, that's fair. That's fair. So we'll move into Saturday. Saturday, obviously, the bulk of the games here. Um, it started off with some early games. Your Tottenham playing early, I believe. They uh, they got the job done. Much to say about Tottenham, or did you? Uh, were you was your attention elsewhere? Because there was there was some fun games going on at the same time. Uh, listen, it was early in the morning. My attention wasn't uh, was only really <laughs> on one place. Uh, none of the other fixtures were overly uh, exciting either. 
But uh, yeah, Tonham, it was, you know, it was a, um, <clears throat> it was just like a, it was like a rare, just kind of simple one nil. Hurricane scores in the 50th minute. They were able to rotate most of the squad, <laughs> besides the top three attackers. Um, and, and Conte basically said we rotated everyone but them because we had no other options. <laughs> so, so, you know, the, in true Conte fashion, saying that they had no other options in attacking, which is a little, you know, a little <laughs> bit of an exaggeration. But yeah, just you know, it was nice to see Pompey play again. I, I haven't seen him, you know, now that they're what in League One again. So, hopefully, I'd love to see Pompey kind of make their way back up the the pyramid. But as far as that game goes, yeah, I don't have much to say. Um, I, I think we kind of um, the Leicester City result was kind of the one game we pointed out uh, previously. I don't know if you had a chance to watch that. I've seen um, the goal but... for most for most of these. I kind of I saw the goals because I was flicking between uh, a few, and then some kind of captured more attention. So, uh, in terms of a deep dive on it, I didn't have much <coughs> extensive periods of time, but uh, probably wasn't quite the convincing victory you would hope for a Premier League team. Um, it kind of emphasizes some of their struggles right now just scoring once um and uh yeah you, you would hope to be doing better but you know at the end of the day they win uh they, they progress to the next round but uh i, I don't think it was the convin- convincing scoreline uh that they probably would have hoped for and that's the joys of the fa cup people will play spoiler um yeah i think uh other kind of notable early kickoffs there's not too much going on uh, I, I think the uh, the bulk is uh, what came next, in my opinion. Uh, the the t- was it 10 a.m. I forget. They kind of staggered yep. these games in weird ways, but uh, these this had some cracking games. Uh, you know, the West Brom Chesterfield game. Olin, friend of the podcast, uh, was probably sweating uh, right up until the 93rd minute as uh, Chesterfield looked like they were going to do the unthinkable and uh, get the the home victory. Ends up finishing 3-3. Uh, this was a fun game, uh, yeah. kind of swung both ways lots of goals two goals inside the first 10 minutes is always fun uh and then uh yeah it was 3-2 by halftime and the second half kind of dragged on a little bit and then i i think there was mention that maybe the referee was was had a bet on west brom and kind of gifted them the opportunity late on and kind of delayed the game longer than maybe it should have but you know that's the uh, who would the say such us. a thing <laughs> that's who the skeptics among us that would say those things uh yeah did you did you watch any of that game or you kind of i like like i say i think this no was kind I, of I definitely time. i mean when they were scoring all the goals in the first half i definitely jumped over to it uh one of my screens um I, you know american daryl dyke uh dyke looks pretty good mm-hmm. um and you know dk is probably someone who's disappointed that the world cup happened when it did because uh He's kind of uh, coming to form here. Um, yeah, I think the the, the the Thomas Asante goal, it was just like completely unmarked. It was truly not only defending in the 90th <laughs> minute to have a guy in front of the box just unmarked was not great. Um, yeah, I think there was a – there was a, I thought there should have been a red card on West Brom that they got away with. So it wasn't like, you know, the you know the, wor- the worst call of all time. It's just – it's 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 always annoying when the bigger club, even you know, a championship side like West Brom, gets gets that break. You know, these non-league teams are the teams that need the breaks, not um, a team like West Brom. But you know, I thought it was it was a very compelling first half. It was like West Brom scored, then Chesterfield. West Brom scored, Chesterfield. Oh, Chesterfield did it again, and it was just a very raucous environment um, for a non-league team to get a team as big as West Brom. You know. I think it was, you know, cool to see, and I think that's kind of the this match kind of is the beauty of the World Cup. I mean, the beauty of the FA Cup, excuse me. <laughs> um, 
And, you know, what we're going to see here is because it obviously wound up 3-3. They're going to have to play the reverse fixture out at the Hawthorns. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. I'd assume West Brom win, you know, especially with the non-league side, you know, having to go away. But, you know, for a West Brom fan, you know, when you're in the championship and you're focused on trying to, to get into the playoff, it's going to be, you know, this is just another fixture that you have to have added to your schedule when you should probably take care of a non-league side, you know. So I think that's disappointing from them in that sense. But um, it was just, you know, fun game. It had goals. It had controversy. What more could you ask for? Yeah, and I think just to, to add to the, the replay happening, and obviously they switched the home teams, and I mentioned this on, on one of the group chats we're on, uh, the big thing with the FA Cup is the, the ticket prices or the ticket sales shares are done slightly different than normal league football. Uh, so the away team gets a bigger chunk of the pie. Uh, so for a team like Chesterfield, this is uh, it's actually pretty a big deal that they'll now get an extra payday. Uh, and it'll be a decent payday, I'm sure. They'll, they'll take a lot of fans to Birmingham or to West Bromwich, I should say. I'd probably get arrested for saying that. Um, but take them to the job. Midlands, and uh, and they will, uh, they'll pack that stadium, and, and they'll get some money. So, you know, sometimes it's disappointing you don't get to the next round. You don't see, like, especially if they end up getting knocked out in the replay, but it's also sometimes that can be just as useful to, to kind of line the pockets of some of these smaller teams that, that need that boost. Um, what else did we have going on on Saturday? We had the, uh, the Coventry City versus Wrexham uh, game, which was pretty insane as well um yeah this kind of saw everything 4-3 Wrexham come out on top I had this as one of my underdog backings for the weekend uh Wrexham have done well in the league the last couple of years and you know uh what were your thoughts on on Coventry versus Wrexham just just uh just a classic FA Cup tie and not league <laughs> side away um you know Wrexham scores three goals in the first half they go up 3-1 um, there's a red card in Coventry City, um, you know, in on a on a handball that was clearly, you know, it was a good call. And you know, Mullen for Wrexham scores. It's four one, fifty eighth minute. It's done and dusted, right? They're up a man. No way, no way. Coventry <laughs> City comes back, and then all of a sudden, Coventry City rises from the ashes. And Wrexham were very, very lucky to hang on late um, and win it four three. It was just a, it was really a fun game because. This is a little bit different where the the non-league team was away from home and trying mm-hmm. to survive. And um, obviously with the TV show, uh, you know, the Netflix, uh, the Hulu series, excuse me, on Wrexham, I think uh, this probably had some added eyeballs and it, and it delivered, which is always, always fun to see. No, for sure. It was, uh, it's what you want to see in a football, like, you know, I'm not expecting people to be watching these games and know who every player is and, and you know, know the history of some of these clubs. So, you know, can't beat 4-3, 3-3, the last two games we talked about, just goals galore um, and just a lot of fun. Where do we want to head next? Do we want to stay with some of the, the giant killing and talk a bit about Sheffield Wednesday Newcastle or do we want to stay a bit earlier oh. in the day, the few results around? Um, the only thing I want to kind of just quickly, just Premier League teams doing their business. So Fulham took care of Hull away from home. Brighton put five on Middlesbrough. Um, just continue to look very impressive. And then we had two Premier League teams get booted and two Premier League teams that we probably think are, uh, you know, maybe potentially relegation bound, two teams that were in the championship last year. And, of course, we're speaking of Nottingham, Forest, and 
Um, oh yeah, I completely forgot Bournemouth. about the Blackpool game. <laughs> yes, yeah, so Blackpool, I think a team that I kind of have a soft spot for the orange and black do it for me. Uh, <laughs> you know, at home, romp 4-1 over, you know, a Premier League team in Forest. And then even maybe maybe slightly more embarrassing, Bournemouth at home lose to championship leading Burnley 4-2. So it's not, I, honestly, Burnley was probably, it's probably a better team this year than Bournemouth. Um, and I think they kind of displayed that in this FA Cup game. But, um, you know, I think both Bournemouth and um, and um, Forrest both kind of, um, you know, rotated significantly. Obviously, their main goal was trying to stay up. So the FA Cup is kind of, a, you know, a slight hindrance for them, I suppose, the way they view it um, with their solely focus on the Premier League um, battle to, to not get relegated. But, um you know, I think it's fun, and I think overall we'll talk about it maybe a little bit more as we go through these Premier League teams. But there's only going to be maximum 11 team, 11 Premier League teams in the round of 32, which is great. You know, I love to see these lower league clubs mix it up. And, and what we're going to see next round is, you know, Arsenal is going to play Man City, and there's another major. Uh, there's two other. Um, there's two other uh, Premier League right. yeah. um, Bright, Brighton will play Brighton will play the uh, the winner of the replay between Wolves and Liverpool so that'll right. uh, whittle the numbers down even more like yes. you say and you know that's yeah. when we really see the joy of the FA Cup when right. you see some of these teams in the quarterfinals semifinals and sometimes beyond um, right or you know and, and you look and, and you look at it right I mean Arsenal and Man City next round um, those are the top two teams in the Premier League right at the top of the t- so not only are we losing additional Premier League teams are losing one of the, you know, five or six major contenders too, which is nice. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that's when people like you as a Spurs fan look against your uh, your tie against Preston in the next round and think, okay, let the big boys around us take each other out and we'll just walk to the final. So maybe it's, yeah, maybe we'll it's Tottenham's United. Yeah, we'll do it United. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I alluded to the, uh, the next giant killing, uh, the Sheffield Wednesday versus Newcastle game. Uh, this was, uh, again, a cracking game. Newcastle obviously uh, rotating some of their players in and out of the squad. Uh, they had another cup game this week, uh, so they were focusing on that. But, you know, uh, I think this was, and we'll talk about some of the the, the Sunday games. It, it was Wednesday got the couple of goals in the second half, and then Newcastle didn't wait too long to strike back. And you just kind of thought like, oh, maybe that was just what Newcastle wait, 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 to, wait. Don't bury the lead. Who scored both goals for Sheffield Wednesday? The uh, the son of uh, Dean Windass. What's his first name? Yes. Sean. Sean Windass. No, Jordan. Josh. Right? Jordan, right? No, Josh. Josh Windass. G- Josh. Josh. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, son of Dean. Uh, yes. Dean Windass. His name is not Windass, even though it looks as though it is that. <laughs> yeah, he gets both the goals, and then uh, yeah, like I say, Newcastle got one back, and you thought, okay, here we go. Um, yeah, that was the spot they needed. Newcastle are gonna push on here, but you know, <clears throat> Sheffield Wednesday did an honourable job to uh, to kind of keep them out and yes. and hand Eddie Howe's side their first defeat since uh, I think the end of August was the last time this Newcastle team had lost. So you know, it's also a Newcastle team that doesn't concede a lot of goals. We've talked about that a lot on the pod. So two in one game by lower league opposition. Uh, like I say, I don't think it was necessarily their their strongest squad, but. This is still Sheffield Wednesday versus Newcastle. Whether they rotate, whether they don't, um, yeah, those Sheffield Wednesday fans are going to remember that they got the victory. They push on. Uh, any thoughts on this one? Did you pay much attention to this one? Yeah, definitely. This was one of the games I watched the most, uh, almost entirely. Um, <clears throat> I think you know United kind of. I mean, 
Newcastle got their, you know, kind of got their hands stuck in the cookie jar here. <laughs> and we saw, we'll see it. We'll talk about another Premier League team that almost did the same thing. But, you know, the classic, let's set up, like, rotate the squad. I think Newcastle was looking towards the EFL quarterfinal tie um, this week, um, during midweek. And, <laughs> you you know, in the second half, they started making changes, especially when they got down 1 0. They brought in Almiron, they brought in Willock, they brought in Guillermoche. Uh, they brought in Karrion Trippier, um, and even to start the half, they had brought on Chris Wood, and they were trying to change the game, um, and they just it, it just didn't work. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday got the you know got the first goal and got the second goal, um, and then it just late it just became all hands on deck for Wednesday. Newcastle at that point had really, you know, all the subs had taken had taken impact, and it was really just. Newcastle was in the ascendancy. They were attacking. They they had multiple opportunities. It was really just about Sheffield finding any way to survive, and and they were able to survive. And down goes a team that's currently sitting fourth in the Premier League table. So um, that's a big scalp for Sheffield Wednesday um, to take. Yeah, and just a question on that, Joe. I think it, it, I always find it fascinating that teams. I understand rotating. Um, giving people a week off or whatever, but if you're going to go one nil down and then you're going to bring them all on any, on anyway, like and especially now in the days where you have five substitutes, like I get it, it was a bit different when it was only three, but it, wouldn't it be better to play your starters first, then get a lead that then you hang on to with and like bring some subs on? Like I, I don't really understand if you're that committed to winning that you're going to throw these guys on anyway, like a last ditch attempt to to pull the game back, like. It doesn't really make sense to me. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I just think Newcastle's in a tough position because, you know, they're trying to go top four. They're trying to win a trophy. And those are those can be two hard things to try and both do. And, you know, you know, obviously, I think what happened here was, you know, playing a league one side away. Can we just grind something out? Maybe get a one nil. We saw this from from other Premier League teams. Can we grind out a win? We have the EFL Cup game against Leicester midweek. And then we have you know, Fulham at home on the weekend and, you know, the fixture buildup is coming and, and it's just kind of like a, you know, you're playing with fire, right? You know, you, you, you know, you can't play these guys every game. So when are you going to let them get a breather? Oh, let's do it in the FA cup third round or playing a league one side. Worst case we draw and we have another fixture, you know, like I don't yeah. think for a lot of these teams, they kind of, it's a calculation they make and they figure we have to sacrifice something somewhere. And this is just where they, a lot of teams choose to do it. Yeah, it's just I, I just find it fascinating if you're going to then put them on anyway. So how much of a breather do they have, right? You put them on for half an hour in a game, like maybe that's even increasing risk of injury, like coming in cold and you know they're not kind of staying on top. Of it. I I don't know. It just it, it's fascinating psychology to me. I I would understand it more if they then bring on subs to change the game that are you know even further down the reserve list. But then to try and bring your big guns on to to turn it around, like. It just doesn't, I don't know, I, I don't find it logical, but that's just me, and uh, we, we don't need to go into my logic. Um, you know, I think uh, I think people will want to hear my thoughts on the Liverpool Wolves game. Um, you know, Liverpool didn't really rotate at all, um, so it's just another sign that they are a team that are in, in, in trouble right now. Uh, I think 
I saw something that they played 60 games last year, which I think was one of the most, if not the most, amount of games across all the kind of top divisions across Europe. And I think it's really showing when really this team has pretty much got the same core every game uh, and they just look so burnt out. And that's not an excuse. They're a big team. They got money. They can invest. But uh, I think this was just another example. Uh, And really, they should have lost. Uh, There was a goal disallowed late on uh, and no one really knows why. Um, It was deemed offside. uh, But then, you know, for some reason, Anfield, which hosts Premier League games every week that involves VAR has a blind spot where the VAR cannot determine where a play- like it couldn't even see the player like it, literally the bottom corner of the field is cut off from any camera angle like it doesn't make any sense like how is this a thing like and how has it taken until this game to realize that you can't see that like I don't know it was just weird it was odd Klopp was an idiot again post game saying Wolves will be more happy with the the draw than we will and it's like no I think they're pretty pissed off that it wasn't a victory because they deserved the victory i thought they played better for large portions of the game they obviously had that yep. goal snatched away from them um yeah I, I, we don't need to go again into one of my rants about liverpool but i think this was just another example of kind of the struggles that they've got with this squad they do look tired they don't seem to have a plan b or or options um i don't know if you watch much of this game and what your thoughts oh, are i watched a lot <laughs> that this allowed goal. My yeah, my question is: Did we come to a? Do we have a def, like a definitive picture angle that showed that it was onside or offside? Well, so I've seen conflicting pictures, and Twitter obviously is not always the most trusted source when people will no. upload for their own positive gain. But I've seen conflicting images because I think where there's also confusion is like, at what point did the ball? Like, at what point is it an active play? or passage of play that the uh, I forget who was taking was it uh, he was taking the corner um I forget whoever it was so he's the guy that's claimed to be offside um which I think it has to be it has to be yeah there's no there's no one else even close and 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 the VAR would be able to see everyone else so he's down in the bottom corner he takes the corner it kind of there's a few headers and there's a few kind of touches of the ball um and so I've seen one where he's clearly offside but that header looks like it's going backwards and then there's another touch after it um, where he's clearly onside. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold's in the box playing in a couple of yards onside. So I, I think there's also confusion around that in terms of, well, at what point are we trying to determine whether he's onside, offside? But I just think it's terrible that there's this blind spot at Anfield. Like I say, yep. if it, it they only had the VAR at the at the big grounds where they they use it regularly. Like if this had been at one of these non-league teams that we're talking about, that's fair enough. Like if they tried to implement it for for the weekend of the FA Cup. Like this is a team like I say, they have it in every league game. They have it in every European game. Like what is this? Like this is insane. Um and this is coming from someone who supports Liverpool. Like I I like I just think it's insanity and um yeah, I think there's so so just to to summarize what actually happened. So basically because there's no camera angle that is visible, they had to stick with the on-field decision which the linesman had flagged that the the guy taking the corner had been offside. So they basically had to take that as as what it was. Um and so therefore the goal was disallowed, but it it was just so bizarre. It was weird. No one really understood. Um it was yeah. Olin's loser of the week was the uh 
the, the VAR at uh, Liverpool. So oh, see, stolen mine. That was my okay. I'm gonna have to have a few minutes to think of another one. <laughs> I was gonna say that as well. Uh, that's fine. But yeah, that was definitely. It, it was, like I say, it's bad. Sometimes outside your brain, you got to think a little bit outside the Liverpool brain. Sometimes I know, but you know, I'm so self-centered. You know, I'm like every other. Uh, Liverpool so fan. Liverpool the, focused. The world, the world is focused all around Liverpool, right? Like that's what yes. Yes. Um, anything else? Let's you go wanna... to Sunday. Let's yeah, go to Sunday. Say. Let's move on to Sunday. Crap. And um, yeah, where do we want to start here? Cardiff Leeds. That was great fun. That delivered oh, on. But just every before level. that, uh, Olin's winner and also my winner because I had a bet on them. <laughs> Walsall League Two side uh, go go away and beat Stockport County. Also a League Two side, eleventh and fourteenth in the League Two. So not even like you know <laughs> top teams in League Two. It was it was a fun match. I caught the end of it. Bristol uh, Stockport County um, tied it up you know late, and then um, Walsall got the late goal to carry them over. So it was a fun you know cramped pitch, uh, cramped ground. It was great. Um, but yeah, on the Cardiff Leeds game, this is. This was the most mental game of the, of the <laughs> week, I think. I don't know uh, if you want to start, but uh, you know, as a, a sort of kind of Cardiff fan, if you want to yeah. get the ball I, rolling, I have here. I have some allegiances to Cardiff, and uh, maybe we'll have to do a deep dive on the philosophy of my my fandom in in soccer because I think it is extensive and confusing. I don't always understand it, but yeah, this was uh, this was an insane game. Leeds, obviously, uh, the Premier League team. Uh, there's there's kind of like I don't know there's just an ongoing rivalry between these two teams. So I think we mentioned it on the preview pod around like the fans kind of hate each other. They've played each other throughout the years in, in different leagues and different cups. Um, so Cardiff kind of came out and they looked like the Premier League team in my opinion. They, they looked really good, playing really well. Get two goals, um, go into halftime on the ascendancy, and it, it just looked good. Like I, I think it was very. Um, obviously the home crowd was very raucous very into this um, yeah it was, it was kind of like a very positive position I did uh, I had some money on, on Cardiff they uh, paid out early which was always nice uh, I was then going to live bet the draw but I just didn't bother and I regret that now but yeah Leeds, uh, Leeds then come back uh, Rodrigo with the goal continues his, his fine form uh, we then see a red card so it's 2-1 see the red card about 10 minutes before the end and it's just kind of looking like oh no, <laughs> the the Premier League team's going to do it. They're going to pull their way back in. Um, and of course they did very, very late on, 93rd minute, uh, Leeds do get an equaliser. And it was just, you know, if, if you want to watch a game that sums up an FA Cup tie, I think we've probably got three or four you could watch this weekend. And this is this is certainly certainly one of them. And I think Cardiff will probably be disappointed that they couldn't kind of kick on from a lackluster Leeds performance uh, and, and a good performance by them. But I think, you know, sometimes uh, the, the class of the opposition does does show dividends in the end. What were your thoughts on, on this one? Yeah, so I thought it was kind of bizarre going in because Jesse Marsh had talked about how important, you know, the FA Cup is to maintain momentum. And, you know, the board said how they care about it. And it was like, oh, okay, they're really going to take this seriously. And then you see their lineup and it was like completely rotated. And Cardiff get up, you know, 2-0, and they were clearly the better team. And then, similar to what we talked about with Newcastle, out, let's bring let's bring on the, the big boys. And, <laughs> and Marsh didn't do it until, like, the 60th minute. You know, he didn't bring on, you know, Rodrigo and Drama and Wilbur until the 60th minute. He waited that long. And then, what do you know, Rodrigo comes on, he scores, because that's what he does. Um, and so, it was just, like, completely 
once once all the subs, you know, unlike the Newcastle game where it took a little while, these subs made an instant impact, and it was just one-way traffic for the last 30 minutes, and it's like, can Cardiff survive? And uh, they couldn't. Uh, so the the 80th minute red card, just um, the uh, bag in the uh, Cardiff defender. It looks like the ball was going in from my vantage point. It was hard to tell, but just sticks out his hand so it doesn't go in. Pulls the old. <laughs> well, I forgot Suarez. to even mention the missed penalty. I forgot. <laughs> yes, pulls the Luis Suarez. So it was a clear red card. The ref saw it. Good decision. <laughs> Rodrigo steps up and just takes a poor, poor penalty. And uh, you know, Cardiff is me. So then at that point, you're thinking, okay, even though they're down to ten men, maybe this will give them a little extra energy. But no, Leeds still was, you know, ransacking them, and they finally were able to get the late equalizer through Perkins to tie it up two-two. I think this is a huge sigh of relief for for Jesse Marsh and Leeds. Unfortunately, they're gonna have to play another. You know, they're gonna have to play the reverse fixture, but it's better than being out of the competition. And you know, they could have really gone out. Talk about playing with fire. They they played with fire and should have been burned, were burned, and then miraculously recovered. And yeah, and, and anyone says that draws are, are meaningless and pointless and that we shouldn't have draws in football, just like, look at the Leeds fans at the end of the game. Uh, I think the goal was scored right in front of it. Like, the scene's there, and the, the, that definitely meant something to them to snatch that draw. And like you say, now we get to enjoy these two teams meet again uh, in a couple of weeks. So that's always fun as well. Uh, and I think that's another kind of good thing about replays is it, it continues some of these storylines beyond just the 90 minutes, right? You get a whole other game. The storylines can spill into the next one, which is which is always fun. Uh, where do we want to go next on Sunday? We have uh, uh, Stevenage Villa is probably the last game we want to touch on. Yeah, uh, it was a another kind of giant killing, another Premier League team. Real shocking, this one. Real shocking. <laughs> they, so they, this was kind of like the reverse of the other one. So like most of the, the bigger teams we're talking about, we've talked about how, uh, you know, the, the lower league team has taken the lead and they've either kind of just held on or the, the Premier League team have clawed back. This was kind of the reverse. Like this, this looked like it was over. Like we were just like, you know, bore, kind of not a boring game, but like uh, the result you expected, you probably thought Villa may have scored more, but they were 1-0 up. Uh, going into the last five minutes, uh, we then see Dendonka get himself sent off, uh, and and that just seemed to change everything. And then suddenly it was two one Stevenage. Five minutes later, he scored two goals in two minutes, one from the, one from the spot, and it was just like, yeah, I think uh, yeah, it was completely polar opposite to, to all the other kind of big team, little team games that we saw. Um, but kind of wild. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, it seemed like. Um... Villa had this under control. You know, they were up 1-0. They were, you know, it's not like they were putting together great chance after great chance, but Stevenage was doing nothing, right? You know, Villa had yeah. 80% possession and were giving up no chances. And then you said the red card, uh, you know, uh, Stevenage, you know, capitalized with the penalty. So you think on 1-1, great result for Stevenage, you know, great, get a draw, they'll bring him back to their ground. You know, it's going to be fun. And then what do you know? Uh, Campbell scores uh, <laughs> to put them up 2-1. You know, the away end goes crazy, and, you know, this is a giant killing. A League One side taking out a Premier League team at home was a very surprised result, especially being down in goal. And this is, you know, we kind of talked about how usually, and you mentioned it, you know, the big club gets an early, uh, you know, falls behind, and can they catch up? And that's usually what we see. This is the opposite, where <laughs> the big club got the lead and then just blew it. 
yeah, I, I do wonder. Like, I, I doubt it just because of like it being a big game, and I, I'm very anti leaving games early. But I wonder if there are any Steelage fans that kind of saw how this game was going, like, okay, I'm going to beat traffic, I'm going to head out because it, it it did all happen pretty late, and they probably will have missed one of the the biggest moments in their club history if if they did that. So hopefully, no one did. I'm like I say, I'm not a big fan of that uh, leaving early. But a uh, couple more games just to go over. Where the the Monday night game was Arsenal Oxford. Uh, this was pretty routine. Um, oh. The first half was dire. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I think there was... The XG, a... <laughs> not to go crazy in the XG, the XG in the first half was 0.1 for Oxford <laughs> and 0.00 for Arsenal. It was so rubbish. Yeah, and of someone who had shifted the uh, the goals total to over 3.5, uh, somehow I got excited towards the end of this game because then Arsenal realized, oh, maybe we need to do something uh, and basically had a, a 10, 10 or so minute of this, minutes of the second half spell that they just uh, took this game well on beyond reach and, and scored three pretty consecutive goals. Uh, but yeah, the, the first half, I think, uh, don't ever go back and watch that unless you want to punish yourself. Uh, very little happened. And then I think uh, kind of... Premier League legs then then showed their showed their strength uh, in mm-hmm. the uh, in the second half and and just pushed on and won. Uh, much more to to say about this one. Nope, I think they took care of the job. Obviously, they're going to be looking at Man City coming up, uh, and of course, first the North London derby this weekend. Uh, the Man City game is obviously the next round of the FA Cup, and I think just you know I I think the one thing before we get into the last game I want to emphasize is. <laughs> It's amazing in in this you know for the FA Cup if you know if you're new especially to you know football soccer whatever you call it the 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 beauty of the FA Cup is I think it it shows these lower league teams and the amazing thing about the lower league teams are and we saw it with Wrexham and, and um you know <laughs> Chesterfield and everyone else um you know Notts I mean Notts County is obviously wasn't in this but you know when you look at a team like um, Walsall or, or Stockport, uh, what we saw that was so amazing is how balanced the lower leagues are and how narrow the margins are. And, you know, if you were looking like, you know, if you're a betting man and you were looking at the money lines, you know, Man City was a bigger favorite at home against Chelsea than, <laughs> you know, Wrexham was, was, a, was less of an underdog away, yeah. you know, at, you know, Coventry City. And that's just how tight the... the the, the the difference between Man City and first and like you know Wolves in, in the Premier League <laughs> even like yeah Chelsea for, I mean Chelsea obviously is one off but even like if you were to compare them to Fulham who's in seventh right the gap between Man City and Fulham yeah. is greater than the gap between Fulham and like Wrexham it's just right. nuts yeah and I think like uh, what was that like Chelsea I think were plus eight hundred at one point before the game and like that's insane like like you say you know i know i'm having a good game and i don't think i ever believe that chelsea could win but it's like that's asking for me to like take my money right like um mm-hmm. and yeah i think uh maybe maybe in the off season or something uh, as someone who has followed exa city and watched a lot of lower league football uh it, the, the fine margins are insane you'll often see a team kind of get promoted and then the next year they get promoted again and they will bounce up very quickly. And then the same happens in reverse. Teams will get relegated and then they'll get relegated again. And I honestly think from probably mid-table in the championship to kind of 
mid table to the the upper half of the the table in uh in the conference so that's you know three divisions worth of football uh, there's there's teams that could probably fit in to any of those and you know it's just whether they get the luck to win a playoff game to 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 get promoted or they kind of get stuck in certain positions but it, yeah the the beyond the kind of the big the big guns there really is very little um between some of the teams and maybe we can kind of take a look at that a bit more but that will take us on as we've been kind of alluding to the the man city chelsea game um and maybe the bookmakers were right this was um more evidence of chelsea just being in a, a real tough position uh and man city just made them well, I don't know if they made them look bad or if they just did look bad uh, with going 3-0 up in the, in the first half, killing off the game very quickly. They then get a, a penalty late on. Uh, what were your thoughts on this other than Man City just looking really good and Chelsea looking really bad? Yeah, so I think we've been um, generally positive towards Graham Potter. Um, but I, I just think this lineup that he assembled made no sense. He put Humphreys <laughs> and Hall out there. And, you know, two young kids who've really never, you know, played, especially at this level. And you're sticking them out there against Man City. So I think in this game, this is this, you have to make a decision. Either you want to win this game or you don't. He, right. he plays, you know, basically as strong as he can front six. You know, he has Havertz, he has Mount, he has Yitch, he has Jorginho. But then in the back line, he, like I said, he puts Hall in at left back. He puts Humphreys in at, you know, central defense. And, and it was just... It was so mismatched, and this was just one-way traffic. This was Man City dominating. You know, Man City is a team that, you know, they can rotate, but you can't rotate. I mean, Julian Alvarez is their backup <laughs> striker. Um, you know, Palmer, Foden, Rodri, Silva, Mares. You know, the back line of Laporte and, and Walker and Akanji and Gomes. I mean, this is still a great team. And, yeah. you know, this is the difference between Man City and everybody else. They have quality <laughs> throughout the squad they can rotate and not rotate and it was just poor in my sense from Graham Potter either you're going all out and you're trying to win this game or you just play like a reserve squad right none of the I mean he tried to have it both ways and he got he got annihilated (laughs) it's like you can't not send your best team up to Man City and expect to get a result and I just thought it was poor from Graham Potter um (laughs) Chelsea's an interesting club as we'll as we'll go into depth shortly and I just think that, you know, Man City were brilliant. Obviously, they have a huge class against Manchester United at the weekend. And then the next week of the next round of the FA Cup, they have to play Arsenal at home, which I think is probably going to be a battle of the top two teams. But, um, yeah, I just I just thought it was really poor from Chelsea. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, the, the league title is obviously beyond reach now i don't think anyone would argue that so you would think maybe the fa cup is is somewhere obviously they still have the champions league to focus on but uh this was they just seemed to lay down and die and it, it was over before it even began um but i think that's a, a perfect segue uh we, ha- we have a guest coming onto the podcast so throw it over to our, our conversation and deep dive with carl on uh, on chelsea okay joe so We've uh, been talking about this for a little while. You and I uh, have our own fandom, but we uh, we don't have the expertise to dive deep into some of these other Premier League teams. Uh, so we were mentioning last week that Chelsea being such a, a team in flux right now, we don't know where they're going to be going. Uh, upwards, downwards, uh, staying about the same. Uh, so what we've done is we've brought Carl Murphy on today. Carl, uh, lifelong Chelsea fan, or at least uh, for some some period of time. Uh, Carl, what's your, what's your background with uh, Chelsea FC? 
Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, big fan of the podcast. Um, good to hear. Always good to hear. Good yeah. start. My uh, my fandom with Chelsea uh, goes back to when I was a, a young boy in Rhode Island, uh, growing up with Joe. Um, just you know, being in America at the time, there weren't that many options for games on TV, so I resorted to uh, the great game of FIFA to kind of generate my fandom. Um, can't really put my finger on why exactly. Maybe because they were just really good at the time. But I predominantly <laughs> played as Chelsea. Uh, he just loves Jose Mourinho that much. <laughs> uh, I, I was a big fan of uh, Peter Cech and uh, Frank Lampard on the free kicks. Um, Drogba, obviously, up top. It was, it was a dominant squad. Um, easy to fall in love with. Yes. Back when Chelsea were good. Now they're at a crossroads. <laughs> so I guess the main impetus why we wanted to have a Chelsea fan on it and get somebody's perspective who, you know, do a deep dive on the club is because it's really a club, I think one of the more interesting clubs currently and one that's really at a crossroads. It obviously started last year when, you know, the Russian invasion of Ukraine forced the, uh, you know, freezing the assets of Roman Abramovich, which forced him to sell the club to American businessman Todd Bowley. And since last summer, Todd Bowley has been kind of in charge of, of Chelsea, first with the transfer policy, obviously the the somewhat interesting decision uh, like a month in to the season to fire Thomas Tuchel. Then they pluck Graham Potter from Brighton to be the new manager. So I guess the easiest place to start, I guess, is from the top. And what are your thoughts on Todd Bowley as the owner of Chelsea Football Club coming from Obviously, Roman Abramovich, who, whatever you think of him, was willing to spend whatever it took to make Chelsea a winner, fire whoever he needed to, to to get Chelsea back to where they were. So I guess the most important thing is, what are your overall thoughts on Todd Bowley? Um, well, yeah, I mean, you, you really nailed it on the head. It's, it's been a tumultuous year plus at this point since the uh, Ukrainian invasion, really. And I don't think a lot of people envisioned how much of an impact that would have on Chelsea. Obviously, not a huge, um, nothing nothing compared to what's going on in the world over there. But, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you never want to see one of your teams undergoing a forced sale. It's, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it doesn't really coincide with anything good going on. Uh, you look to, like, the NBA, the Clippers underwent their forced sale. Uh, yep. Yeah, but it's sports, and it's not great. Um, in steps Todd Bowley. Um, the media over here wasn't a huge fan of him up front and his, quote, American ideas. Um, but to his credit, uh, he's he's trying things. He's, he's trying to shake up the system. Uh, it is not working so far <laughs> in terms of results. Um, not, not a great week. Uh, Speaking to my older brother, who's a Manchester City fan, uh, just been taking the lashings. And the <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, but you know, it, it it comes down to the players at the end of the day. the The current roster, uh, injuries aside, which injuries, top to bottom, every position, uh, people are out. Um, the people that are available, some of them are just. You know, frankly, aging out. Um, 
I don't know, I'm sure how many years left Azpilicueta has. I mean, Thiago Silva has been the best player of the last few years at the age of, what, 37, 38? Mm-hmm. So something's got to give at some point, especially in as demanding a league as the Premier League. Yep. Um, I think he seems to, Todd Bully seems to be erring towards a youth development, which frankly makes sense. Uh, best players on the roster currently would probably be Reese James and Mason Mount, both of whom are in their low 20s. Uh, so, I mean, since last summer, they they brought in uh, a couple of young guys in Chukwameka and Cesari, who are pegged to help the midfield kind of bridge into the next generation. Don't forget about Cucurella. <laughs> Mark Cucurella, he, uh, he's, what, 22? Yes, 60-pound man. <laughs> he's 24. Okay, he's older than I thought. Uh, very well paid for his position. Uh, obviously, he hasn't had the best run of games since coming in, but to his credit, he, he's always putting in a shift. Uh doesn't always work out in our favor, but yes, All right. <laughs> and so he obviously, you know, I think came from Brighton as well as Graham Potter. So where we're currently at, obviously, as you, as you alluded to, is back-to-back defeats with over the course of what four four days or or so to Manchester City, right? So first you lost in the league at home to Man City, and then you got drubbed away for nothing. Uh, there were a couple of younger players um, that came on when he rotated the squad, but still, it's never good to get drubbed in the FA Cup. You're 10th in the Premier League right now, you know, below Fulham, below Brighton. So, in terms of Graham Potter, how like how long do you think Graham Potter's leash is under the Bully administration? Uh, it's a great question. Um, I don't think anyone really knows at this point. It's, I mean, Grand Potter is Todd Bowley's first manager. Yep. I feel like maybe he'll have a longer leash than, say, Roman Abramovich would traditionally give a manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, to Grand Potter's credit, he was brought in in the middle of the start of the season where yep. transfer window had already closed. So, Yes. Frankly, it's not his team. Um, you know, like I'm saying frankly a lot. Or maybe it's a Frank Lampard thing. Yes. But yeah. you, I think you just touched on it very well. <laughs> like, it's it's so crazy how the whole – like, and this is what would give me pause about Todd Bowley is he went through the whole transfer period in the summer with Thomas Tuchel as his manager, getting players that Tuchel wanted because Tuchel is essentially, um, you know, in charge of the transfer decisions. And then – literally like a week after the transfer window is he, he sacks him. And then, so I just, if, if he was this uncommitted to Thomas Tuchel, why didn't he, why didn't he fire him prior to that? You know, I just, I thought that was a very strange de- decision. I would just, I would, I would just interested if you could, you know, t- go back into the time machine and your thoughts of when you heard that Tuchel was getting fired in early September, like what were your thoughts when they decided to pull the plug on Tuchel so quickly? I mean, just look to yesterday's match. Uh, down second half, all the traveling supporters chanting Thomas Tuchel's name. Mm-hmm. 
they, they, he was he was really appreciated here. Um, he, he brought us another Champions League title, uh, something yes. that Pep has not done for Man City, by the way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I had to get one dig in there. Yes. <laughs> After the last couple of days, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Punch it up for sure. Um, no, I mean, the optics of it didn't really make sense. Um, it it kind of lent itself to the headline saying maybe Todd Bowley's out of his out of his league. Maybe he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, granted, the, the media is always a tool used by both sides. There were a lot of stories coming out that Tuchel and Bully weren't really communicating. That for better or worse, they weren't agreeing on players being targeted. So yes, I think in a perfect world, you have that manager ironed out well in advance of the closure of the window but i mean nothing's been easy for chelsea over the last 12 months correct and correct just a quick question on that you you alluded to it a bit that the fans are obviously still chanting tuchel's name what's the overall kind of perception of potter like is is it something like he's just in a bad situation because you know the fans guy got let go unfairly and he's just that difficult next manager coming in um like is there a respect for him uh, obviously the results haven't been great but what is the general kind of consensus on on graham potter as a fan uh i mean he seems to be the the target of most of the ire these days i, I don't personally think it's warranted um, as i said earlier is isn't really his team he's dealing with so many injuries um but this is Chelsea Football Club. Great things are expected in the past. I mean, we've just been able to throw money at problems, kind of bring in a new <laughs> player here or there, and it's all figured itself out. Yes. Um, results haven't been there this year. I think yeah. people are expecting more, but maybe that's just not realistic. Um, I mean, the Premier League is kind of not a really a league where you go for a rebuild, but that kind of seems like the direction they're going right now. Um, a lot of money being spent on young guys. I haven't really looked into this Jao Felix deal yet. Oh. Um, I don't really know if that's going to solve anything, but <laughs> they're trying stuff, I guess. Yes. I don't know. Yeah, and I want to go into the roster in a second, but... As we stand, as we stand here now, right? Chelsea are tenth in the Premier League. You're out of the FA Cup. You're out of the EFL Cup. You have a you know round of sixteen Champions League tie coming up against Dortmund. So I guess my my question is, what do you think, in your opinion, what do you want, like what's your bare minimum for Chelsea to accomplish by the end of this year? Like, do you want do you would you say I want to come in top six? Is it, you know, top eight? Is it, you know, make the quarterfinals of the Champions League? What are What is, like, your main goal from Chelsea from a results standpoint before the end of the year? I mean, it, it would be great to come in that top six, top four. I don't know if it's realistic. I think for me personally, I would just want to see a string of results toward the end of the season, something to build on just some kind of consistency um mm -hmm. it's just something that hasn't been there going 
going and drawing Borussia Dortmund in the round of 16. I mean, it's two teams that don't really know each other very well. So I think that kind of gives an advantage to Chelsea in that it's not someone like Man City who just has our number at the moment. Um, I think missing out entirely on European football seems unlikely, regardless of being in 10th place right now. Um, I just don't see the teams above them really holding on. The, the Brightons, the Fulhams, the... Brentfords. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean... I mean it, 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 it would be great to see, but... Mm-hmm. I mean, because even if... <laughs> if you just pass those three clubs, right? Fulham, Rivalry, Brighton, where your manager went in Brentford, that puts you up to seventh, which I think is, is definitely a conference and maybe a, a Europa League spot. Obviously, that's not where Chelsea wants to be, but it is something. Um... But, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. Uh, you know, like, before the year, I mean, I, I thought Chelsea would finish just out of the top four, but obviously I didn't think <laughs> – I didn't see them, you know, being in this position. So I guess – and you touched on it in, you know, with the Joan Felix situation, and we can't into that, and just the player situation. And I think when – you know, as we start to get into the players on Chelsea, my question to you, and, and, I, and I mentioned this on the last pod, is, like – who for you are the two or three cornerstone players that you want to build around for Chelsea? Because I see a lot of talent. I see a lot of, you know, you know, ability in the squad. But when I look at the squad, you know, is Christian Pulisic good enough to start for a Champions League quality team like Chelsea? I don't know. Is Mason Mount? Obviously, I don't think Aubameyang is at, is at that point anymore. Is, you know, Mason Mount. You know, is so like in your opinion, who are the two or three players that you think Chelsea should be building around going forward? Um, I mean, I, I think the best player on the roster right now would be Reese James. Mm-hmm. That being said, he's had quite a lengthy injury history over the last couple of years, and it's always just tough to build around a player who's just not had that consistent availability. Um, so, you know, I think going forward, the best player to build around would probably be 38-year-old Thiago Silva. Uh, <laughs> he has been your best player. He has been your best player, absolutely. He's been incredible. <laughs> yes. Um, but no, uh, I mean, Reese James, Mason Mount has just, I mean, maybe the results haven't been there for him every match, but the guy just tries harder than everyone around him most of the time. Um, Connor Gallagher has shown promise. Not really, again, had the results this year, but the the midfield just game in, game out has really not shown much consistency or results either. Uh, whether that be injuries, whether that be tactics, it's a combination, but I mean, like I said, there's just there's just some young guys that are showing promise, and it would be good to see what you can get out of them. Um, Mountain Reese are both 23, so that's I mean, realistically, you could see another six, seven years of them really putting in every game. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, I mean, would love to say Christian Pulis ish, but I don't know how long he'll be with the team. And do you like? And and he's obviously been obviously American. We've seen him a lot. Um, but like, do you think he's like consistent enough and like good enough to be the starting left wing for Chelsea? I think when he's given an opportunity on a consistent basis, he's shown a lot of promise. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure I've ever seen a player spend more time on the ground or <laughs> nick in the shins as many times as he does each match. But, um, I mean, I'm biased, too. Let's be honest. Right. As an American living abroad, we know, we know. Yeah, Rich, any, uh... <laughs> Rich, anything else? I think it's uh, you've summed it up pretty well. I think uh, if I reflect on probably the the time of when you were becoming a Chelsea fan, you need to look at those teams. Their midfield was always something to behold, right? Like they always had Lampard. Obviously, he was consistent through the years. Have players like Sen and and players like that, and they just don't seem to have that right now. And I know part of that's due to injury, but when when Joe asked the question around who do you build around it, it it's kind of concerning that there's not um a core of a team to build around and i think that's the the challenge that potter has do you think it's worth giving potter the opportunity to to build his team as we mentioned he didn't have the opportunity to build anything over the summer he didn't come in until after the the end of the transfer window so do you see potter as the man to try and build that or is he just kind of a stopgap get through this season and, and give it to someone else to build I think based on alternative options, I think why not give him a shot? He kind of reminds me now of when Brad Stevens took over for the Boston Celtics. A guy coming out of a lesser known location, had some great results, frankly punched above his weight, but just couldn't really get over the finish line. I think given Todd Bowley's willingness to cut checks, like it's the end of the world. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> yep. Um, but why not see what he can do? He, he seems to be a good player manager. Um, I don't hear about any issues in the media within the locker room. So let's see what he can do. Give him a chance. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think Joe. <laughs> I think Joe and I have like have the same sentiments, though. I think you've got to give him the opportunity. Yes. Uh, this isn't his team that he's inherited, and um, it's yeah. It, yeah, he has to have like at least him. one turnover. Yeah, I think he's a good manager. Uh, to your point, the alternatives. It's not like you know who's the next person in line, especially if they they miss out on on Bruno Europe Martinez. or. Even, yeah, <laughs> we, we, we could dive into that another day. I know you have your thoughts on that, Joe. But, yeah, I think it's uh, we, we both like him, and I think he needs to, to push on and at least get a couple of transfer windows. And I think the summer is key. Um, let him go into next season and see yeah. what he can do. And not yeah. to pick on Cucurella, but his signing really kind of makes no sense to me. I mean, because you have Chilwell. <laughs> you, you, have, you have Chilwell. You have Reese James. I think those are maybe your two best players. Koulibaly, uh, Thiago. Like, I see a defensive back four here that could be very good for a long time. You obviously brought in Fofana as well. I see, Like, I see the back four. I don't know why you needed to add Cucurella to that. My question, I think, really going forward is just, 
the midfield and obviously the attacking options, right? If you think Mason Mount is one of those options, that, that kind of helps. But, like, you know, Raheem, Raheem Sterling hasn't been the same as he was at, at Man City. Um, you know, Havertz is not really a prototypical center forward. Uh, you know, we see Obama and it seems like he was just someone who was like a, like a make good to Thomas Tuchel who doesn't really fit into this Grand Potter <laughs> system. And, you know, obviously I love – um, Conte, he's I think the perfect defensive midfielder, but he's 31 and, he, and he's been hurt very often. So I just you know Kovacic is a solid player. I just I, I think the front six or so really need to be organized, and I think there really needs to be you know decisions made by Potter and the board to say you know who are we going to go with fo- going forward and who are we going to sell, make a profit and maybe add an, add an additional player because I think there's a lot of talent. I think there's some players that other teams could use. I just don't see a like a, a, like a system between those six guys that are currently your forwards and your midfield. Yeah. I think at a certain level, it's just, like you said, the, the managers, the board just need to say, these are our guys. We're going to stick with them, play mm-hmm. them, see what happens. Um, I would say Sterling's had a good start to the season. He he was converting goals pretty well. Maybe not at a early Holland pace, but you know, wow. he was finding the back of the net. <laughs> High standards. Yeah. <laughs> he he played a, a good ball into the box on a number of occasions where there just wasn't anyone to meet it on the other end. Um so that is just learning how to play with the other attacking uh, options out there. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I mean, I watch all these games. I don't see Kai Havertz working as the number nine. Yep. Um, it, it just isn't, it's just a lesson of futility. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the, I don't know what's going on with Ziyech. It's, it's been a, a renaissance since the uh, Moroccan run at the World Cup, but. Yep. That was a man that was firmly out of the, the squad entirely first half of the year. So, I mean, it's good to see him out there playing again, um, trying to create. Now we get the Joe Felix type. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so let's talk. Let's talk about, yeah, so let's talk about this. And, and I think the strange thing that um, Fabrizio Romano, who's kind of like the, the Adam Schefter of the uh, transfer business, he basically said that the deal for Joao Felix is in its, you know, in the closing state, in the advanced stages, I guess is what he says. Um, but the interesting to me, the interesting thing to me, is that that it says it's it's only a loan for the rest of the year for ten million, you know, ten million pounds, which is a substantial amount for for just a loan, and it there's no option to buy, which is really the strangest thing to me. So Joao Felix is 23 year old. Um, he's a Ford. He can. He's not a prototypical striker, but he can. He, he will put the ball, the ball in the back of the old onion bag, as he would say. And you know, he's very talented. He's very skillful, and he just he doesn't fit in the Diego Simeone system at Atletico, which is fine. I just like <laughs> why I just don't understand. And this is again going to the you know Todd Bowley and his just his philosophy on transfers. I just don't understand why you'd go after a guy and have no option to buy for a loan deal that's going to last six months. Like it, it just, it seems like it's, it's a stopgap, but he's not even like a good stopgap because he's someone that you could use in the future. And I just like, if he does really well at Chelsea, 
his price is going to go up. And like, you know, and if he does poorly, then I guess that's a good thing and you get out of it. But I just feel like I, I don't really understand this move as a loan. Yeah, I, I mean, considering the other options that were out there for his services, uh, or the Man United and mm -hmm. is it Liverpool? Who was the other team on them? Uh, was Liverpool definitely... on everyone these days. They just never yeah. said anyone. But that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> I, yeah, I think it was primarily Manchester United and Chelsea. Right. So I mean, if agreeing to hold off on having a buy option was what brought him into the bridge. That's fine, I guess. It's not like if it goes swimmingly for the next five months that they're just going to let him go back to Madrid. Mm -hmm. I don't think the player would want to go back if he has a great five months um, after how much he's kind of struggled in the Atletico side. Yep. Um, and considering the uh, endless resources that seem to be <laughs> at the club's disposal right now, uh, they'll find a way to make it work if it's okay. if it's the I, right move. I guess that's the biggest concern, right? Like if he lights the world on fire for the five months, then his price tag has gone off. Whereas if you you kind of negotiate the terms to buy now, that regardless of how he how he performs, you can either just say actually no. He was useless. We don't want him, or we get him at the price that he's valued now, as opposed to after the five months, right? But if the pockets are deep, who cares, right? Yeah, I mean, bidding against yourselves is a, a Chelsea thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and not to not to be uh, breaking too much news on this podcast, but Todd Bowley has stepped down as the uh, the sporting director as of today. So I think this could be the last transfer that he's involved in negotiating and dealing with. So be interesting to see. Where Did he hire anybody? Uh, I am just reading headlines right now, so I'm diving in. Okay. Watch this space. That article I have to pay for, so I'm finding another website. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> Todd Bowley's only, he's only 49. I thought he was much older than that. Yeah, it's because uh, all his shirts are from the 80s. <laughs> Crazy. Um, so I guess my question, on a scale of 1 to 10, if I told you in a month... Graham Potter was sacked. How surprised would you be? Probably about it. An eight. Okay. Okay. So you all right. I mean, if, they keep saying they... he's a long-term answer, but I, I just it, it's hard for me. Be and it's because obviously Abramovich was so quick to to sack managers. It's it's hard for me to believe Chelsea generally will stick to a plan for this long if it's if it's a bump you wrote it initially. Yeah, I mean, granted, someone a new technical director. You just said, Richard. Yeah, uh, like yeah, that's where they had it. Yeah, it doesn't look like they've got anyone in line yet. He's just stepping away from it. Uh, he had it as like an interim when he first took over the club, um, but it sounds like he's detaching himself from that. Right, so that he, but he isn't it also bonkers to step down in the middle of January? Well, <laughs> for, for anyone else that doesn't just give managers a week after the close of a transfer window the chance to fight for their job, uh, I, I would maybe say it's a bit nuts. But I'm guessing he mu he must have someone in line. Um, and apologies if that has already broken, but I don't see it anywhere just yet. That he, no, I, I didn't see it anywhere either. Yeah, yeah it, it seems unlikely that 
he would double down on making the wrong move like that. <laughs> it sounds like from what I just quickly read was that he will still have a say on transfers. So I don't know if this is a uh, step down in title, but you know, at the end of the day, it's his money, and he's going to do whatever, like whatever he wants, right? Yeah, it was always the plan for him to step down as technical director, but like we just said, in the middle of another window, <laughs> not the time to do this. Well, and there's also the rumors. There's also the rumors of of like a hundred million for Enzo Fernandez from Benfica, um, who would obviously be a midfielder and would help, you know, that situation. But um, that that seems like a lot of money for, you know, for someone from Benfica. Yeah, well, it was also, like, it's off the back. You know, this happens every World Cup, right? Like, someone has a couple of, what, they play, like, six, seven games. They have a couple of good performances. And it adds value. But, you know, Shell Felix was 100 million euros from Benfica one day. So why not, add, why not so add all of them? Why not add all of them? Just keep finding those pockets out? of them. Ah, Benfica have got a bankroll somehow. Not that many people drink Sagres anymore, do they? I don't know. I mean, if you looked at the talent that Benfica and sporting have supplied to English clubs, it's astounding. Um, and maybe and Enzo Fernandez appears to be the next. I'm just I'm surprised by that, that s- such a price for, you know, a deep playing midfielder. You know, I just yeah. I, I think he's talented, but I just I, I mean, 100 million pounds for that seems kind of nuts to me. Hey, maybe his agents really uh, work in the phones now. Client's never going to be as valuable as he is right now, so yes. might as well try to cash in on that. And, and as we mentioned, Chelsea could certainly use the midfield help. So, um, but I, I mean, I know we've been kind of doom and gloom, but like I, I do think, and you know, we'd like your perspective on this. I think me and Rich are both positive in the sense that we think Graham Potter is a good manager, and that if he's given time, he will succeed at Chelsea, especially once you know Chilwell is healthy, once Reese James is healthy, once once and if Conte gets healthy and Mason Mount and you know, everyone, you know, as and whoever else is who's out right now, and and we think, you know, we believe in his vision. We just question if he's going to get the opportunity. So, but like at the same time, right? Like, would it surprise you if if we wake up in three months and Chelsea's in the semifinals of the Champions League? It wouldn't to me because they have a favorable draw. I think against Dortmund, I think they should be favored to beat Dortmund as as badly as they've looked. And if they're in the quarterfinals, I mean. You're right there, you know, like coming from a Tottenham supporters fan. I mean, you know, we made the Champions League final not that long ago. And, you know, you just you just get a good draw. You get a few breaks and boom, you have a chance to win the Champions League. I mean, you know, you you won a Champions League with Roberto Di Matteo as your as your manager, you know. So it's like anything is possible. And I just I just wonder if Chelsea, I just wonder if they have that like, you know, glorious Champions League run in them. I mean, it's not out of the question. It's just going to take some some consistency, some some preparation, and a whole lot of luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, just obviously going into the present, you have a big uh, derby game against Fulham this week. Top of the table uh, clash. Well, like yes. Top of the mid-table clash, I should say. Yes, yes. What's Fulham is what seventh, I think, in the table. Yeah. So you know, yeah. maybe if you win this, you can climb up a couple spots here. But um, in that game, do you think this is like a like a must-win before the Liverpool match? Like, what are your thoughts going into this game? Uh, I mean, looking at the point standing right now, 
they're only three points ahead. Fulham in seventh. Mm. I don't know if anything's a must-win at this point in the season, but you never want to lose your closest rival in terms of location. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think it'll be a great match. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Mitrovic yep. put you in the back of the net and Fulham <laughs> wins for nothing. Mm. And the crazy thing looking at the table at Chelsea is they're tenth in the league, but usually when a big team like this is in the is you know towards the middle of the pack, their goal difference is still excellent. But like Chelsea's is only plus one, like that's where they should be. They should be tenth in the table, even based on goal difference. It's not like they've been like terribly unlucky, you know. So it's you know it's kind of crazy to think. And the twenty goals is just not enough. I think you would agree. Like the biggest problem with Chelsea right now is they just cannot score. Yeah, it's just a lack of somebody putting the the ball in the back of the net up top. Um, yes. And maybe Juan Felix will help with that. Uh, or the yeah. uh, the aforementioned <laughs> Alexander Mitrovic. You know, it's not far to yeah, move. Oh. If, you're, if you're living in Fulham right now, oh. Chelsea's just down the street. Yeah, you know, maybe mm-hmm. Vut Vekhorst. Maybe you hijack that transfer. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait to run to the end of Premier League. Yeah, gets to yes, talk yes. about him every week. It's going to be great. Yes. Rich, do you have any uh, final questions for Kyle? I think that's it. Just, uh, Kyle, we uh, uh, obviously appreciate whoa, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I have one more on. question. Okay. One more question. Because this, this is a constant debate. <laughs> Who? Yes, do you are you the con- worst fantasy football player in our league. No, no, no. no. Let's, <laughs> let's, not, let's not do that. Who would you consider Chelsea's biggest rival? I mean, you want me to say Tottenham. I'm going to say I don't want you to say anything. I want you to say what you think who you think is your actual biggest rival recently it feels like manchester city okay but i mean we want a london team right so i'm going with arsenal okay yeah. so you still think arsenal's okay because i, I feel like a lot of ch- tendency to win games unlike wow. uh, that other team up north well i mean six straight years one of those teams has finished above the other but I digress. But see, like with me, like I always just assumed it was. Case. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's empty. Uh, it's barren. Um, but like, see, for me, like I always just assumed it was kind of Arsenal, right? Well, like I, as I've, I've gone on, I feel like it's Tottenham. Like I feel like there's more resentment and hatred for Tottenham from Chelsea fans than any other than any other club. And I think Tottenham gets this a lot, right? Obviously, Arsenal's biggest rival is Tottenham. West Ham's biggest rival other than Millwall, is Tottenham. Like, everyone seems to hate Tottenham for whatever reason. <laughs> and I just – I get this sense from Chelsea fans, like, especially when the Battle of the Bridge, right, the famous 2-2 draw, you know, most yellow cards ever in a Premier League game. I've just – I always feel like Chelsea fans, deep down, they hate Tottenham more than any other team. Well, that's just every club here in London hates Tottenham more than any yes, other team. Yes, I feel that way. <laughs> No, I, I think, I mean, as heated as some of those contests have been over the years, Chelsea and Arsenal just seem to keep meeting in all the finals to different competitions, which also adds a big layer. Um, you don't, Arsenal, you don't Arsenal were great, obviously, in the early 2000s under uh, Arsene Wenger. Um, before Chelsea kind of took on their own mantle. For that mid two thousands to right, probably about a year and a half ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, I definitely felt yeah, like during that, sh- 
Yeah, I definitely felt during that stretch, like Arsenal and Chelsea were, you know, that was your biggest rival. But I felt like, you know, going before even, like I felt the Premier League, there was more of a hatred towards Tottenham. And I felt like in the last 10 years or so, it's it's been more hatred of Tottenham. But, you know, it is kind of funny because Chelsea are a team without like a main rival, right? Like, obviously, when you go Manchester United, it's Liverpool or it could be Man City, right? But they're like equally hate that. Man City is obviously Man U. Tottenham and Arsenal, right? Most clubs have, like, most huge clubs, in no matter what league they're in, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, you know, Dortmund against Munich. It just, it feels like Chelsea's for such a big club. They don't have that one rival, you know? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that has to do with the, uh, the club's history. Um, right. A lot of it's still being written, the, the most vibrant parts of that history. So. Who knows? There's always plenty of hatred to go around with the Premier League. So, yeah, you're just a a mediocre club that was bought by a Roshan oligarch. I understand. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this is our uh, deep dive. (laughs) Yes, Murph. This was was our deep dive into a club in crisis, Chelsea Football Club. Uh, We would like to thank our guest, Kyle Murphy, from our intrepid reporter in the ground in London, um, we would like to thank him for his informative information on this on this football club, Chelsea, that is actually 10th in the Premier League table. So, uh, Kyle, thank you so much. Okay, thank you again to, to Kyle for coming on. And uh, not the not the best week, probably, to have Kyle on. So we appreciate him taking the time uh, late at night uh, over in England to join us. And uh, hopefully, if, if anyone's out there, reach out to us if there's a club that you want to do a deeper dive on. As I mentioned, we're not the uh, the most well-versed on every team. We can't be. Uh, so, yeah, reach out anytime. Joe, we've uh, we've had some, some breaking news this week uh, that we're going to dive into. Roberto... Martinez, the new manager no, of Portugal. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We won't get we'll into that. We'll talk about that in due time, but I'm not ready <laughs> we will. Uh, no, the big news, of course. Uh, this we may need to put a disclaimer out here that this is going to be yes. two grown men uh, very much gushing over another grown man as Gareth Bale <laughs> announces his retirement. A player close to both my heart, Joe's heart, uh, mine from a, a Welsh lens, Joe yours from a from a Tottenham lens. Uh, I, I'll pass it over to you first and oh. let you kind of. What are your, your fond memories uh, and kind of feelings around around Gareth Bale? Uh, I'm not going to cry because it's all <laughs> joy. Um, like, I think the most, I, I mean, I just have to thank Gareth Bale, right? Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, the re- one of the probably the biggest reason why I'm a Tottenham supporter is Gareth Bale. Um, you know, I, I just I remember watching. You know, I was becoming a fan. I like, oh, I, I like this club, and then I didn't even see it live because I, you know, I was in college. I wasn't that big of a fan. Um, but when I saw the 2011 Champions League group match against Inter Milan, um, Tottenham were down four nil. They were down a man after 35 minutes. Uh, the Gomez, the goalie at the time, had committed a, a bad challenge. They were dead. They were playing the defending champions. And then just Gareth Bale, just just a hat trick down four nil with ten men. It was just the most. I would encourage anyone to watch Gareth Bale against Inter Milan in the Champions League 2011. Just watch that video and just not be amazed at the the ability, the sheer speed, the athleticism, the, just the ability with the left foot. And then in the return leg, uh, Tottenham actually win three one. 
and he Gareth Bale didn't score a goal in that game, but no player on that field had a bigger impact. And I can think of rare performances where a man who didn't score had a bigger impact on a game besides like a goalie. It was just so tremendous. He set up Pavlyuchenko for a goal. He just you know he <laughs> Mykon, who was the the, the inner <laughs> inner Milan right back uh, at the time. He this is a performance he'll never forget. He'll have nightmares probably the rest of his life about Gareth Bale just slicing and dicing him. And it was just it was just the most sensational performance. And um, you know, I you know we can talk a lot. Look, I mean Harry Kane is is awesome. I love Harry Kane, but no player gave me more joy to watch than Gareth Bale. Just his ability, his skill. The 2011-2012 campaigns, both years. You know, Tottenham. Uh, you know, Tottenham was was not very successful before this, right? And and Gareth Bale was just so sensational. And in the one year he carried them to fourth, and obviously, unfortunately, Chelsea won the the Champions League, knocking them out of the potential, you know, potentially going to the Champions League. But I still vividly remember. Um, his performance against Norwich, where he scored two scintillating goals um, against West Ham on a Monday night, where he scores that cracking finish with his left foot outside the box um, to, you know, to win Spurs the game. I mean, there were just so many countless goals. He ended the season with a goal against Southampton in the 90th minute. He was just, you know, I think he only had like 26 goals um, in his final year, but like every single one was was just a thing of beauty, right? And, and you know, he just really made me fall in love with, with the sport and Tottenham and everything. And just watching a player such class and ability, the guy who literally started off as the left back, Harry, Harry Redknapp was questioning sending him back to Southampton. And next thing you know, this is a generational player, sold to Real Madrid for 120, you know, 100 million pounds at the time. And, you know, we could get into what he did at Real Madrid. I don't want to take up all the time here, but you know, the man won five Champions League trophies, the the goals he had. I mean, you know, we focus a lot on the goals because they're simply incredible. I mean, the Champions League, as you, as you know, against uh, Liverpool, Liverpool the, yeah. the bicycle yeah. kick in the Copa del Rey final in the 85th minute, <laughs> running around uh, the defender and scoring the late goal to, to put Real Madrid ahead. Obviously, um, he had the other Champions League goal against Atletico Madrid that kept them alive, and then they won it in extra time. It's just, you know, Gareth Bale did so many, had so many remarkable goals. I mean, of almost any player of the generation, I would tell people just to look up his goals. And, you know, obviously this generation has been dominated by Ronaldo and Messi and Neymar, but Gareth Bale at his, at his prime uh, when he was was as good as anybody, I, re- I really honestly believe that he he combined skill, speed, strength uh, on that left hand side. You know, I think he was honestly when he played Real Madrid, he was kind of was he wasn't the central presence because they had Ronaldo, right? But right. Gareth Bale was so good, like, and, and you saw it obviously from a Welsh perspective. I mean, you know, and I'll let you get into that now because I'm just rambling, but <laughs> I just I really can't express how much how much joy it brought me watching Gareth Bale um, play football. And, and, you know, obviously I love Tottenham. I'm, you know, I love the sport, but I, I, I still have never felt like, even when they made the Champions League final, right, I never felt as captivated as watching Gareth Bale up that left flank, um, yeah. almost a one-man team. Yeah, he uh, and talking about 
one-man team and, and this is no disrespect to the rest of the Welsh squad but uh, I, I think of Wales's run in the Euros uh, in 2016 and without Gareth Bale that doesn't happen right like if they had some some good pieces around him you know Ramsey was actually in his prime back then um, but it, it, he was just he had the ability to change the game himself I'd even argue that in that Champions League final against Liverpool he he was the difference maker um, yeah he ends up being Wales's most capped player, 111 caps. Uh, when all said and done, he's their uh, their top goal scorer with 41 goals. So just breaking breaking international records, and it's just it's your point. Just to watch him. Um, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately. I, I don't mean that as it sounds, but kind of I moved to North America as as as, as Bale's hitting his prime. So kind of my Wales actually attending Wales games live uh, was kind of at the beginning of his career where he was he was still good, but he wasn't the Gareth Bale of kind of like the mid uh, 2010s uh, that he then kind of pushed on and, and really became great. So I definitely missed witnessing it live, but obviously watched a lot of it on TV. Uh, and he took Wales as, as far as they're probably ever going to get in a major tournament. Um, we, we saw what happens with Wales at this World Cup, and I don't think Bale was at his best, came, coming off a season of barely playing in the MLS. Um, so I think it's he, he knew where his career was trending very quick. Uh, very paceful player. So, uh, you know, once he lost that, he obviously still had skill, but it, it was not really the game he was used to be playing. So I think he uh, he's made the wise decision here. But yeah, I, I think I owe everything to him and Wales lately. Uh, I remember after the World Cup, I was texting with my brother about him and just saying like, it's time to move on from him. Like he looks shot. And, and my brother's like, no, think of all the goals he's ever scored for Wales in some of the big moments. So think how he's changed games. Like that guy could play for Wales until he's 90 and he deserves it like who cares if he's rubbish like it's gareth bale like he has made this country he literally put this country on the map right uh before before the euros wales hadn't qualified for a major tournament since 1958 he took them to that tournament he then gets them to qualify for the world cup and is obviously instrumental in in the qualifiers and it, it just changed Wales football and, and you know the more eyes you get on the sport uh it, it attracts people and then that's when you start seeing players coming up through the ranks because they've got someone to look up for and that's no disrespect to some of the way the welsh greats of the past but gareth bale was doing it probably maybe john toshak ian rush could probably rival him for being famous on an international level but you know in a modern game uh people aren't remembering Ian Rush and John Toshek anymore because they're not me um so Gareth Bale has put Wales really on the map and you know until Messi and Ronaldo win an MLS Cup then to me Gareth Bale is the greatest player of all time because you know they haven't done that so talk to me once they've done that uh, yeah and I but, think and what the fascinating thing uh you know, and I'm sure Olin will have a great comeback for this, but, I mean, Gareth Bale could be the greatest British player of all time. I mean, obviously you have, you know, George Best and Kenny Dalglish, and, um, you know, you could go on and on with just a great, I mean, you could probably throw in a Gerard, um, Gerard or Lampard or, you know, whoever else you want to throw on, but Gareth Bale belongs in every one of those conversations, in my opinion. Um you know, just just uh, you know, like you said, put put a country of three million on his back, um, <laughs> won five Champions Leagues. You know, just I mean, it's hard to find a more accomplished player. And like you said, even in his even when he was complete rubbish, he had nothing left in the tank. Uh, LA got um, you know LAFC down a goal. Yeah. In the ninety four, who's there? <laughs> bail to bail him out. 
Yeah. I mean, the guy was just, I mean, the, the amount of late goals he scored. And I would encourage anyone, I mean, I think we've, I think we've, 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 you know, we've laid it on pretty thick because we both love him. <laughs> he means so much to both of us. But, um, you know, he, uh, we should almost rename the, the pod just about Gareth Bale. Um, <laughs> just, just every week. You know, just he's, he's such the connective game. tissue. Yeah, he's just, a, yeah, <laughs> we could do like a throwback segment. Just, yeah. just you know, oh, classic Bale game. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's the connective tissue of this pod in so many ways. But um, yeah. you know, I would just I would just encourage anyone just go on YouTube and and watch just watch goals of Gareth Bale and just see the brilliance and the shot making and the ability to, to do everything, head it um, with the left foot, uh, the speed, the strength. It's just um, it was just so beautiful to watch him, and I'm I'm so grateful that uh, to to have watched him. Yeah, and just kind of to cap it off and, and talk about where this podcast started around the World Cup, you know, Wales had to go through through the playoffs. They didn't qualify directly from the group. So, you know, first round of the playoffs, they play Austria. Gareth Bale scores both goals. Then, you know, they face Ukraine, which was right around uh, the time of the unfortunate events that were going on in Ukraine. So basically it was Wales versus the world because everyone was on was wanted Ukraine to qualify for the World Cup, obviously. Uh, and, and who steps up and just takes another beautiful free kick? Yeah, it's de- deflected in. But, you know, he literally got them to that World Cup uh, with, with three goals in, in two games. And, uh, yeah, he, he we could we could probably go on for days and days and regale different stories and different games that he changed and, and what that means to us. But uh, sad to see him go. Maybe now he can really invest in his golf career. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But, yeah, I think... Uh, I think we could, we yeah. I mean, we should start reflecting back on Gareth Bale every week because even dude. even when he came back on loan in 2020, as, as terrible as that season was, Jose Mourinho was, Bale still had a hat trick. He was still one of the few bright spots. Yeah, no, for sure. Okay, so uh, now that we've uh, after we've, that emotional segment, after we've spewed about uh, Gareth Bale more than probably you'll ever hear two grown men uh, outside of Wales and Tottenham talk about him. Uh, because even Madrid, I think they hate him, but that's a story for another day. Um, winners and losers this week, Joe. Where... Just on that quickly, I mean, yeah. without Gareth Bale, there's one or two last Champions League trophies in that cabinet, maybe three. I mean, yeah. he was a vital part of at least three or four of those wins. Yeah, he was definitely divisive uh, over in Madrid, and there's different reasons for that, including a flag after a Wales game. Uh, which And also Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that, that guy who just brings harmony wherever he plays as yes, we've seen yeah. in recent years. Um, yeah, uh, winners and losers this week, Joe. Who have you got as your winner? Uh, my winner is going to be the Barcelona defense. <laughs> six goals allowed in 16 La Liga games. And of those six goals, they've only given up a goal to f- in four different games because they gave up three to Real Madrid in one game. They've just been so good defensively. Um you know they haven't been scoring at the normal pace that they, you know, back in you know the the, the height of the Messi, Xavi, and Iniesta era. But I mean, six goals allowed in 16 league games. I think everybody else in La Liga has given up at least double that. I mean, it's just you know La Liga. Let me tell you, it's a tough watch uh, most games. But uh, the, uh, you know, I have to give credit to where credit's due. And Barcelona's defense has really been superb, especially. You know, after they're getting eliminated in the group stage of the Champions League, I, I have to uh, give them some roses here. Okay, my my winner this week is uh, Gianluigi Buffon, and no, this is not 2002. This is not 2010. This is 2023, 
and the guy has just had a uh, Italian Coppa Italia game where he forced extra time for his Palmer, where he has returned home, the prodigal son, after obviously a lustrous career uh, away from Palmer. But he he kept them out. He played a good game. Uh, Inter Milan ended up winning in extra time, but you know they didn't score until the 88th minute to send it to extra time, and then they score in extra time. So, yeah, Buffon, great career. Uh, there's probably people who can talk about Buffon, like we just talked about Bale and all the things that he's done for his country and his club uh, and the tr- trophies he's won. Uh, but I just think it's fascinating. He's still going. I think this is either the 25th, 26th year of his career. Uh, Joe, is that longer than you've been alive? I'm not sure. You're pretty young. But it's uh, it's just impressive to, to still be going uh, at, at the age of 44 and, and still... Yeah, goalkeepers you got you got to be pretty agile, so it's not it's not a young man's game, and he's doing great. So he was my winner. <laughs> good choice, good choice. Uh, who who have you got as a, a loser this week? Uh, any team with the lead late in Syria ah games over the weekend. First, Inter Milan up two one on Monza gives up a late own goal to make it two two and get a draw, and then we go to um, I believe it was Sunday. And Lazio up 2 0 on Empoli. No problem. They got this in the back. They give up two late goals. And Lazio only gets a draw against Empoli. But are we done? No, of course not. Roma Milan. Milan <laughs> is up 2 0. It's over. We're in the 88th minute. And guess what? Jose Mourinho is fighting Roma. Scored two late goals to nick a draw away at Milan. And, um, you know, just huge. I mean,. These teams are, you know, third, fourth, and fifth in the table. You know, the Milan clubs in Lazio, and they all blow two points that they all richly deserved. Um, so difficult for all those teams. And the most boring team and the boring teams, Juventus, are up to <laughs> second place, just just cracking away with one nils, two nils, just doing enough to survive. They've won four on the trot. Um, yep, they might be the chaser to Napoli. I mean, I... I was thinking it might have been one of the. Uh, I thought it might have been AC Milan, but uh, that's not the case. It looks like it might be Old Faithful, Juventus making a late run. <laughs> well, uh, I, I alluded to it earlier that my my initial loser was going to be the VAR situation at Liverpool. Uh, so I've done some quick research and I've decided that my uh, my my new loser, and it could be someone who is close to your heart, Joe <sighs> Deli Ali. Uh, he is currently on loan at Besiktas. Uh, over in, in in Greece and uh, Turkey, sorry, that's that's a big mistake. I correct myself pretty quickly there in Turkey, and uh, he he's on loan. Uh, they don't want him anymore. They're trying to find a way. There's no recall or like way to end the loan. Uh, so they're trying to find all these different possibilities. Talking. <laughs> talking with Everton to find a way to just get rid of it like you got to be uh really struggling if if you're on loan uh and the team just doesn't want you there anymore they're probably not even paying all of his wages and they still don't want him just to, to warm their bench so Deli Ali, uh quite the the fall from grace he's had in in recent years and uh yeah he's he's my loser for this week so with all that being said we will uh take a sad, look ahead sad sad deli sad deli situation <laughs> We will uh, we will look ahead to uh, the upcoming Premier League weekend, which we'll be back next week to talk about uh, some some really good games coming up. A lot of derbies, uh, you know, top of the table ish clashes, 
some some relegation battle uh kicks off with uh on, on thursday we have fulham chelsea the the southwest london derby uh then we have a friday night game villa versus leeds uh you know both teams kind of mid-table ish but you know not out from any relegation battle yet uh so both be vying for three points there and then saturday the 7 30 game eastern time the manchester derby uh, Man United, as, as I mentioned, have been kind of plugging along. And I think this is a way for really to be a true measuring stick of, of how far along Man United have come at home uh, against Man City. Uh, I think that would be a cracking one to watch. And then uh, we move into the, the 10 a.m. games. You've got Brighton at Liverpool. Uh, I mean, Liverpool at Brighton. Uh, this could be the next round clash in the FA Cup as well. I think this is a home victory, the way Brighton are playing and Liverpool are playing right now. Should be goals in this one. Brighton like to attack. Uh, Liverpool like to concede but also attack so you know if you're going to bet on both teams to score that could be a good one to look out for we have Everton Southampton you know Everton have been struggling of late as, as we mentioned they had that one good kind of flash in the pan against Man City with a draw but now they face bottom of the table Southampton and really will need three points at home against them Forest Leicester again two teams are in and around the trouble they're not doing great they need to they need to beat each other Wolves versus West Ham exactly the same situation as well uh, and then the game is capped off with the the 12:30 game on Saturday uh, with uh, Brentford versus Bournemouth which will take us in to the uh, Seattle San Francisco game uh, Joe any thoughts on kind of the the early games of, of next week yes I think we have a lot of fun games um, first you know not to overlook it Chelsea needing a win at Fulham plus 120 on the money line that's kind of high that's not what we're used to seeing from Chelsea away are Fulham. So um, <laughs> yeah. the bookies have it maybe as a draw. Um, you know, Man City going away to Man United, only a minus 130 favorite. That's usually much higher. That's one of the lower prices you're going to see all year. So it would be interesting if, if Manchester United can get a result out of that. Uh, you mentioned Liverpool. Would you be surprised to know they're plus 103 money line? <laughs> so basically the bookies are saying Liverpool have a better chance to beat Brighton than Chelsea do of beating Fulham. So if you like Brighton, I think there'll be, you know, I think there'll be goals. You could bet yeah. Brighton, Brighton win or draw. I'm sure that'll be about minus 120, minus 125. So that'll be interesting. And the, the big, the big dart, uh, the big uh, relegation battle, Everton, Southampton, Everton's the heavy favorite plus 117 money line. So if Everton do, don't, don't get three points, that could be very big trouble. And then finally, selfishly, I'll end with the North London Derby. And yeah, yeah I mean, Arsenal's I a pretty big favorite. Yeah, we have a, a couple of teams playing uh, in quick succession. So Chelsea also have Palace there. Sorry, I, I forgot to talk about the Sunday game. So Chelsea, Palace, Newcastle, Fulham. And then, yeah, your thoughts on, on the North London Derby, Tottenham versus. Uh, <laughs> Got to get a draw at least. Winner draw. We need it. Arsenal's plus 114 money line. I think that's kind of high. I don't know. I know mm-hmm. Tottenham have kind of sucked, but I mean, this is. This is all systems would go. They they need at least a draw um, out of this game, and of course, <laughs> probably one of the few people this affects. But I'm a huge Tottenham fan, obviously, and I'm a huge Miami Dolphins fan. So, of course, <laughs> the North London Derby starts at 11:30. The Dolphins game starts at one in Buffalo, <laughs> so I have to kind of. There's gonna be about a 20 minute crossroads where I could be, uh, you know, seeing Arsenal get a late winner and Dolphins being down 14 <laughs> nothing quickly. So, I don't know. It's it's gonna be a tough Sunday for your boy. Uh, I hope I survive, but uh, 
Worst case, I'll just take a Gareth Bale and I'll get through it. <laughs> yeah, just watch Gareth Bale YouTube highlights all Sunday. Just ignore real life sports that are still going on. Yes. Uh, or you never know, it could be the best Sunday of your life with a couple of wins. Uh, so yeah, that pretty much does it for our FA Cup overview, looking ahead into what we're going next. Again, thank you to Kyle for joining us and, and kind of, like I say, probably not the most fun time to talk about Chelsea, but interesting times to come yes. for sure. Uh, Joe, if anyone else wants to reach out and uh, want to talk about their favorite club, how can they reach us? Yep, it's the wrong foot podcast at gmail.com. Anything you want to say positive about Gareth Bale will be very much appreciated. Yeah, share, share your uh, favorite all, highlights. <laughs> you know, as we all try to survive these dark days that lay before us, uh, hopefully we can do it. But yeah, thanks, Kyle. Uh, going in depth with Chelsea getting an on-the-ground perspective. We appreciate that, obviously. And, yeah, I think we have a lot of cracking games this weekend. Uh, looking forward to talking about them next week, and hopefully, uh, at least for my sake, there's a good result in North London. For sure. And don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this so you can always get our, our latest episodes as they drop. Follow us on Twitter, at WrongFootPod, and uh, check out our website, thewrongfootpodcast.com. Thanks, Joe. It's been emotional. Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. And uh, yeah, Gareth Bale, you will always have a place in our hearts and uh, can't wait to see what he does next. <laughs> he's only 33. Like, this is this is the crazy thing about football. We're talking about someone retiring uh, and he's he's younger than me. Uh, he's got a long life still ahead. Uh, it be interesting to see if he sticks around in the game. Thanks, Joe. Rich, there's nobody I'd rather talk about Gareth Bale with. Love everybody. <laughs> Take care. Can be